0: Hello, and welcome back to the Archives Are Incomplete. My name is Jonah, and today we will be talking about Mall Lockdown by Joe Schreiber. Joe Schreiber is also the author of Red Harvest, which we read previously, and Death Troopers, which will be coming along later. This book has a little bit of a different tone, but it definitely feels in many ways like a book written by Joe Schreiber. Let's start with the back of the book. It's kill or be killed in the space penitentiary that houses the galaxy's worst criminals, who must face off in gladiatorial combat while an underworld gambling empire reaps the profits of the illicit blood sport. But the newest contender in this savage arena is fighting for more than just survival. His do-or-die mission is to capture the ultimate weapon that will enable his Sith masters to conquer the galaxy. But standing in the way are a bloodthirsty prison warden, a cannibal gang, cutthroat crime lord Jabba the Hutt, and an unspeakable alien horror. No one else could brave such a gauntlet of death and live, but no one else is the dreaded dark side disciple known as Darth Maul. So, I actually don't have too much of a bone to pick with the back of this book, except for the ultimate weapon that will enable his Sith masters to conquer that galaxy. That one sentence in the middle, the really only thing about the plot on the back of the book, I disagree with. Um, like gonna talk about it later but no it is not that it is not the ultimate weapon that will enable his Sith Masters to conquer the galaxy but the rest of it's fine like it's fine it's a little dramatic but it's fine uh so should you read this well there are some reasons to read it uh one you like Joe Schreiber uh I like this more than Red Harvest I like the pacing and the storytelling a little bit more here it felt a little bit more cohesive and that may be due in part to Due to the fact that it is about Maul, a character that we know relatively well from the movies and comics and is a very established part of canon. Versus Trace and a bunch of people that don't matter and cease to exist by the end of the book. Uh, Reason number two, you like Darth Maul. This is one of the two Darth Maul focused books, so it's an obvious choice. He is a bit of a different character than he becomes in the shows when he's fleshed out in Clone Wars and Rebels, um, but it's still Darth Maul, and if you like his badassery there, you'll like him here. It's just a slightly different flavor. Reason number three, you're interested in the rise of Palpatine. There are some scenes between Palpatine and Sidious and his master, Darth Plagueis, that are really good, and I'll talk about them, but I won't be able to do them justice reading the book. will It'll do the scene justice, because it's, you know, the scenes. Um, reasons to not read this book. It's not super fundamental. doesn't really move the plot forward that much, even if we're now in the modern era and this is a pivotal character in The Phantom Menace. All it tells you is Plagueis and Sidious have some tensions between them. Also, Darth is really good at killing people, the end. Yep, nope, that's really the, like, information you get out of this. You no longer need to read the book if you're reading it just for the storyline elements, um, because those characters aren't really characters that we get involved with emotionally later. So, what are we going to talk about? Well, of course, as always, we're going to talk about the plot. We're going to talk a little bit about Maul's training, his ideology, and his skills. We're going to talk about the relationship between Palpatine and Sidious. Uh, Some notes, nods, and references, plus the first of what I will be calling the Deep Seeds. These are references to something that I won't talk about for a very long time in any sort of meaningful detail. I'm going to be vague and archaic about it and try to obscure as much of it as possible, but be like, ah, yes, if you know, you know. And this is a nod to something that I'm not going to say anything else about, but we'll come back to it. So we're going to come back to that. So, on to the plot. Darth Maul has been sent to Cog Hive 7, which is a weird name because there are no cogs, it's not a hive, and it's one of a kind. Uh, In any case, it's a prison where all the prisoners are outfitted with explosives attached to their heart and are made to fight in gladiatorial combat at the whims of the Warden so people can gamble on those battles. Maul has been tasked by his master, Darth Palpatine, to find a weapons dealer slash manufacturer named Iram Radik, who operates out of this death trap of a prison and purchase a weapon for Palps. I call Palpatine Palps because it entertains me to call him Palps or Palpy. Just silly little names. I think uh, Han Solo and maybe Wedge and some other of the more irreverent characters later on in the New Republic refer to Palps in the past tense as such as Palps or Palpy very dismissively. And I think that I like that about them, and I like to see myself in them sometimes, and so I'll talk like them, maybe steal stuff from other characters. In any case, Maul eventually does, and kills a lot of people to do so, okay, and the spoiler-free zone. The plot on this is mostly backdrop for that mission, had there's some sparring between Sidious and Plagueis, but it's relatively plot-light and action-heavy. But here's a quick summary. So, Maul tries to get information from the printers, gets some, gets in a gladiatorial bout, gets more information, gets in an unintentional fight, gets more information, gets in a bout, fights in prison gangs, manipulates them, gets information, tracks down some people, threatens to fight of them, get information, fights some other people, gets some more information, follows the crumbs, finds Radic's workshop, discoveries he's making lightsaber, although it's never explained why this guy is making hundreds, if not thousands, of synthetic crystals for lightsabers, and it's never mentioned again when they're not when they're not delivered wherever they were supposed to go, then make arrangements to get what Radic needs, because he still hasn't met him, fights some more people, gets them, Guffin returns to Radeek, trades one item for another, goes and kills some people and then gets off the base with the weapon he was sent to acquire. Okay, so there are some more explicit scenes about this process. Um, It does open on a fight between Darth Maul and an unnamed alien species who is savage and very muscly, and it's a close fight. But Maul wins because he's Darth Maul, but he doesn't use the Force, and oh, what's going on with this? And we're discovered later that he has been instructed to not use the Force at all, lest he be given away as a Sith and ruin the plans of Palpatine and uh, on the Coghide 7, there is an intergalactic banking clan member, Vesto Sliffer, performing an audit of Coghide 7. Siddiki Blur, who operates the place and is the warden, is somewhat dismissive of Vesto. Maul apparently has had terrible planning with this. He wasn't aware that Coghive Hive Seven is also a gladiatorial pit. He shows up and was immediately pitted against the reigning champion and was just like, "Oh, I don't know what's going on." Um, while he's exploring the place, he runs into some creatures he saw in Wayland during his training. Wayland being a stronghold of the future Emperor Palpatine. Um, they're called Clawbirds, and they come up a couple times here and there. After surviving his first fight, he goes to the prison kitchen, makes a distraction with bomb and speaks with a Shadrafan coil, who he thinks might be a good source based on the reactions of everybody in the dining hall when the explosion went off. He sees who runs away, he sees who stays, he sees who's, who's just like, I'm going to just keep on eating, he sees who's protected, that sort of thing. It shows that he's more than just the brute force warrior that we saw in Phantom Menace. There's another fight, he fights Wampa. Why is this here? It's noted as special and very rare, but isn't the point of prisoner gladiatorial combat that and not beat him up with monsters. In any case, I'll talk about my feelings about the Wampa and some other characters that I felt shouldn't have been in this story later on in my analysis. Uh, We do find out that the explicit goal is to get a nuclear device from Iram Radik to the Bandogora, a terrorist group. It's kind of weird to me that it's hard to get a nuclear device in the Star Wars universe. A nuke is something that is achievable on the planet Earth, and while it's not something that You can, you know, find at your dollar store around the corner, even at like a hardware store, multiple governments and countries and scientists have managed to develop that technology. And yet the way Iram Radik is referenced here, it seems like he is the only person in the galaxies who is able to create a thermonuclear device. And that seems silly. I would have gone with some gibberish technobabble term, like thermosulfurate antimatter, like not something that I can be like, oh, I know what a nuke is. That's something that you can have in real life. Because how how is there not another scientist anywhere? Like, and also, how is a nuke not more powerful than, or rather, how is a nuke more powerful than weapons and technology that they have at the time? We're not too many years away from the Death Star, which can shoot lasers that blow up planets. And I don't really, under like, I understand that you don't necessarily want to blow up a planet all the time. And also, we don't have that technology in the universe yet. But... I'm pretty sure there are some steps between nuclear device and destroying a planet that Palpatine has access to, even as a measly senator from Naboo. In any case, we do get some more subtlety on the part of Maul. He maneuvers two gangs to mistrust their leadership and follow him, using guile and strength, not the Force. It still shows his flexibility and how he'd be a good candidate for Darth Bane Sith. He's somebody who can manipulate his surroundings to get what he wants without brute force, but he's also very good with the whole brute force thing. Maul doesn't know the goal of the plan. Uh, He gets in contact with Sidious and is told that he's helping to foment rebellion and separatism. It's interesting to note that while Bane wasn't ready to topple the Republic a millennia ago, Sidious Palpatine thinks he'll be ready soon. Sidious notes in conversation that Maul is fueled by much rage, but there's no addressing where that rage come from. Uh, Maul has no past that's particularly addressed, The seeds of his motivation are tough to discern, and while I like the depiction of the character and his actions, I do wish we knew more about why he acts and thinks the way he does. We don't really get any sort of training montage how he was forged into this person who's fueled by rage. And honestly, he's never really like fueled by rage, except in a few fights where he's like, I'm going to die. So I'm going to tap into my anger and use that to win. It's never something that fuels him tactically or strategically like it did Darth Bane. Bane was just like, I am angry against the Jedi and the Sith and the galaxy, and this is going to sharpen me and I will feel the force flow through me. And I will use that to empower my strategic thinking in the long term and come up with a plan and boom, bomb, bing. And Maul gets none of us. He's just either doing things logically, which is cool and fine, or he's in a fight and he's just like, I'm going to use my anger to win this fight, but not the force, just my anger. And I don't know, really enjoyed the character. I feel like it could have been more complex. Uh, In any case, at some point prior to this, we were introduced to a guy named Artagan Truax and his son, Aeogan Truax. Artagan claims to have saved Irim Radik's life, betraying the Bandogora previously, and he came to Coghive 7 intentionally to protect himself and his son. Throughout the story, we're given false leads. Is Twi'lek 0, uh, Irem Radik? What about this Rook, or X, and Y, or Z? There are so many characters who are like, is this Irem Radik? Is this Irem Radik? And I enjoyed that, um, except I kind of felt like it went on too long. We had too many cutaways. In any case, we do have a fight against a character named Rook. Maul orchestrated a fight against him, because he suspected that Rook might be Iram Radik. Uh, and he wants to, you know, talk to him face-to-face, so he gets them put into a gladiatorial pit match, and is like, let's talk now, I'm going to beat you up. In any case, as he's in a water-filled tank fighting Rook who's in a qualish, he hears the voice of Sidious in his head, who says, or has previously said, stop it, your inadequacy is worse than disgraceful. It's nauseating. And you know what? That, That worked for Darth Maul. And while I don't think it's a particularly healthy relationship that the two of them have, Some people do thrive on negative reinforcement and critical feedback. One of my favorite daggers, and this is something that I've mentioned to some folks that I know, there's the classic, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. Uh, But I love the evolution of that. That is, I'm not mad, not even disappointed. This is what I expected. And I kind of get those vibes from Sidious. And I guess it's not really a great thing when the thing you say to, like, mock your friends is the same thing you think a Sith Lord would say. So maybe... Maybe that's a little too strong. Anyways, Maul wins his third pit fight against Rook, uh, and at this point connects Artagon with the Bandogora and threatens to, or kill Zero with the old, I have poisoned you, give me what I want, and I'll give you the antidote. Uh, he gets what he wants, and there's another fight, and Maul fights a Weequay, he believes is Iremritic, and kills the Weequay to not die himself. Uh, Then he's recovering from the fight and has a dream wherein he fights himself and predicts the future. We have a little bit of the Luke Vader nearer fight, and uh, he cuts his foe, Darth Maul, in half at the waist. And so again, predicting the future in a different way. While all of this is happening, Jabba the Hutt shows up. Siddiqui, the warden, found out some of his guards were infiltrating her guards, and so she killed them. And even though he said they weren't his guards, he wants revenge because they were his guards— so he shows up and it's just another name drop in Seed of Chaos. He has Z-95 Headhunters, which goes to show how old they were when the rebels used them some 30 some years later, 40 years later, 50 years later. Um, No, 30 years. Yeah, we're 30 years prior to the Battle of Yavin. So 30 years. We ignore him, uh, Vesto, Slifer and Sidiki some more because they're not super relevant to the plot. Uh, Darth Maul discovers that Radik is making lightsabers, but his crystals are failing. They are unstable. Uh described as having crackling and hissing beams and oscillating skeins of light. It sounds a lot like Kylo Ren's lightsaber and possibly where they got the idea, just having these crystals that are channeling the power but are dangerous to the user. And in fact, these crystals are very dangerous to the user. It's kind of weird. Radeek has so many proxies. I understand the caution, but it just kind of reminds me of the Dawn of the Jedi, which I had some criticisms of. It's just so much of... Clue, follow-up clue, follow-up clue, follow-up clue, follow-up... Missing every time. And there's never, like, there are two options I'm going to think about and select one of them based on other data. It's, I have a piece of information, I'm going to follow this, and hey, look, another clue just in time. It's... It doesn't feel natural. I mean... We have exhausted all of our possible options, and only then do we get the next bit of information. We never have a amalgamation of information. It's just one piece after another. And I really would have liked it if we had gotten two or three pieces at once, and Darth Maul had chased down these different leads, found something, maybe didn't even chase down all the leads, so it's not the last place he could have looked, and then moved from there. And yeah, you need to come up with some other names or characters or some red herrings but I think it would have made a much, much stronger story. I think that in my, like, joking intro of the story, where I just went through it as often as I could, I may have undershot on the repetition. It's just a very repetitive story of fight, information, fight, information, fight, information, fight, information. Outside of Maul's storyline, Siddiqui faces down Jabba, loses her troops, and begins to destroy the station. Uh, She gets hunted down and eaten by the Cyrox, which is a monster that we'll talk about later like many of her guards and prisoners. This is an important moment because initiating the destruction of the system or the station, of course, puts an immediate time pressure on Darth Maul to get his explosives and get out. She also starts detonating the explosives in the heart of every prisoner. There are like 420 of them and she's doing them in sequence, so it's one at a time, but there's a computer doing it, so I don't understand how it's taking any reasonable amount of time for a computer to send like 400 or even a thousand or even 10,000 signals like that it should be able to do much more than that. In any case, finally, finally, finally Darth Maul finds Radik, who is a chist and this is something else I have feelings about and we'll get into after the plot. However, I also have feelings that Radik is mad that Maul brought in the Bandogora. It feels like the Bandogora are made out to be a wildly dangerous threat, but not much is told about them. And when we actually find out about them, they're not, I mean, they're terrible. They're a death cult and they kill lots of people and sacrifice other people, but they're not that bad compared to some other cults that exist in the universe. And I think we could have leaned more on the Bandogoro being a personal affront to Iram Radik and not being this big, bad, scary thing. I think leaning on that personal relationship would have been better for the story. Uh, in any case, Radik tells Maul where the nuke is in exchange for a geocompressor that can make the synthesized crystals better. And instruction on how to use said geocompressure. Maul also makes sure that he gets the bombs in his heart disabled because, you know, he doesn't want to die when he breaks out of the prison. Uh, and then Radik dies, whoops, but MacGuffin is required. Uh, in that scene, Radik kills Aogin, and while Maul doesn't feel pity or compassion or obligation, he does feel a sense of righteousness. Radik wasted a good resource, more or less, and so Radik deserves punishment. Maul saw a world in which Aeogen was a useful fighter and it's possible that Maul was like yeah I'll keep this kid on retainer more or less and when I need somebody who is not directly associated with me to go punch somebody or go spy on some things I can use this and he looked it felt like he was starting to develop a network not feelings but a network And that would have been great to see. Coghive 7 is destroyed along with everyone who is still alive on it uh, so most of the prisoners and guards were already dead so I think Pretty much every character we ran into other than Darth Maul, Jabba, Plagueis, Insidious is dead. Which reminds me of Red Harvest, wherein all but one character's die maybe two like it's a tiny 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 number of characters who survive and i think that's the problem that i face with the joe schreiber books is that it's not that the characters are not connected to the greater universe because they are it's that they all die nothing none of the character development that comes out of these characters is relevant in red harvest seeing a bully be like wait maybe i shouldn't bully people would have been meaningless because the character wouldn't have had an opportunity to put that into practice Furthermore, it separates the stories a little bit more from the canon. It's using characters that don't show up in any other book, but also it's characters that cannot show up in any other book, at least chronologically post this. The story just didn't matter. None of the characters made it off Cog Hive 7. There are no consequences. It felt meaningless. I guess a comparison is to Rogue One, where the protagonists all died, but in doing so they completed their mission. And that felt different because it was a suicide mission and the risk was known and there was a goal. This was the culmination of their arc, not being supporting but inevitably meaningless characters. Maul is the protagonist and was never in any danger. He's alive in time for Phantom Menace, and everyone else died, so where's the meaningful conflict? The only consequences come from the few scenes that we have with Sidious and Palpatine. Speaking of, the story does actually end with some more sparring between Plagueis and Sidious. um, Or Plagueis attacking and probing, and Sidious desperately retreating and parrying. I love their interactions, and honestly, the scenes with Darth Plagueis and Darth Sidious, absolutely my favorite part of the book. So let's dive into some analysis. This mission felt like it would have been a better fit for Jango Fett. My notes, for some reason, say Boba, but Boba would be roughly zero years old here. Yeah, roughly zero. And Jango would be appropriate, um, more appropriate than Maul. It's a job, not a thing where Maul has freedom to be himself, and there's no really critical privileged information in somebody wants a bomb. I mean, sure, Sidious is using this mission as a test to see if Maul can perform without using the Force, but I feel like there could be better tests, and I understand why Sidious has that test, because he's had to operate without using the Force publicly, or be seen using the Force publicly while in a very public position. But even with that, I still feel like there could be better tests. Now, there is a broader range of skills displayed by Darth Maul here. He's taken on this role of Jagannath, and he's able to do things subtle. Okay, so, sure, the blow of the kitchen as a distraction plan wasn't subtle, but does let him accomplish his task relatively unnoticed, and manipulating the various guards and prisoners to heed his whims wasn't accomplished through raw strength, but a mixture of strength and manipulating circumstances And being this very intimidating individual where he can use his presence and leverage his place in the community on others. He wants to get the job done here, but he's very clearly subservient. He's doing his master's bidding. And I wish we saw a bit more independence, a bit of chomping at the bit, kind of like Darth Zana in the Darth Bane trilogy. I would have liked to see him be like, I know I'm just the apprentice and I have so much to learn from Darth Sidious. But I am going to kill him one day, and so that's why I'm going to survive this, and I'm going to get all this power, and it's going to be a good time. Again, I do want to reiterate that I liked this characterization of Darth Maul and would have enjoyed reading more of it. Now, onto my favorite bit. We met the Master's Master, Hego Damask, a.k.a. Darth Plagueis. There's some sparring where Plagueis refers to Sidious as an equal, which is odd in the Sith balance of Master and Apprentice. Uh, And yet, it works. It kind of feels almost like a threat from Plagius, just being like, ah, you are no longer beneath my notice, apprentice. Prepare to be challenged to a game. I have been playing for much longer than you have. I am your master still. I'm going to call us equals just to give you false confidence. Uh, what's neat is Hego Damask, uh, the alter ego of Darth Plagius, is a magister or an executive manager in the intergalactic banking clan and has some influence there later after maul has killed irum radic uh plagis and Sidious meet again Sidious wanted maul to actually not kill irum Radeek, but get the weapon but told Plagius the mission was to kill and there's some banter of Sidious being like oh yeah the mission completed successfully and plagis being like oh yeah i bet you think it did mm-hmm. yeah liar now Plagius knows of Maul and mentions him being a Sith Lord. Plagius obviously knows the Rule of Two as the current master, but is entirely okay with Sidious having an apprentice. Now, to be fair, there's an argument that that the apprentice should find somebody to train for when they do overthrow their master or when they attempt to overthrow their master and are turned over, the master has somebody to begin working with sooner rather than later. Plagius does order Sidious to order Maul to destroy the station and says, let him think he'll have the opportunity to escape giving an order to his apprentice to kill the apprentice's apprentice without being direct about it. Now, this is not the most subtle of steps, but it does fit with Plagueis just being like, yep, you lose, I won this game, sacrifice your king, and we'll call it good. There's also a beautiful quote where Plagueis thanks Sidious, saying, I do enjoy our conversation, Darth Sidious. There is no one else with whom I know I can be completely and totally candid. And that's a funny line. Sith Lords aren't particularly known for their honesty. They're rather known for their deception and misdirection. And yet Sidious is being like, yeah, no, I'm like you because I can be honest with you. And it reminds me of the Bane-Zana dichotomy. But Plagueis is far, far more free with his philosophy than Bane was. I also really like that Plagueis only intimated that he knows more. Doesn't say it explicitly. Because whatever Sidious can imagine will be way, way worse than what Plagueis can threaten him. Moving on to some other analysis, Vesto Sliffer, the IBC agent, says, money stands at the nexus of all things. The one who controls the money knows everything. This was Bane's plan, and Plagius, as a magister of the banking clan and inheritor to the Sith wealth, has a lot of money and a lot of access to resources across the galaxy. He can get whatever information he wants. He can influence the politicians he wants. He has so much power, so much information, Plagius could rule the galaxy very easily from the shadows. And it's just neat to see that Darth Bane's prediction is coming true. Of course, it's a prediction that happened after the future had already occurred, so it doesn't really count as a prediction, but I'm accepting it. I'm taking it. I also want to talk a little about Smite the Guard. He's not important to the story, really, at all. But I like his characterization. He's an overconfident jailer and uses weapons wholly untrained. He feels kind of like mall ninja crap, just getting things that look cool and make him feel awesome, even if they're totally inappropriate. Like I think he picked up a rocket launcher inside a space station, which is like the last thing you want to do, because have you heard the phrase explosive decompression? There's also the wolf which is something of Joe's creation, also known as the Cyrox. It doesn't show up elsewhere in lore, and while it's neat and super fascinating, I wish we knew more about it earlier. The story is about how Maul overcomes every single threat, so knowing nothing about the threat other than it beat the guards or other prisoners who Maul could eat for breakfast are scared of it. doesn't give it any sense of wonder or strength. It's only shortly before its demise do we get the details of its birth, how it consumes the souls of those it's super cool and if we knew more about it earlier like how it's an apex predator because it can utilize the knowledge and tactical thinking of all of its minds that would have actually made it scarier but instead it's just a thing i know maul will defeat when he runs into it he doesn't die here i know that it does kill siddiqui the cyrox but that's it if the worm wasn't there the outcome of the story wouldn't really have changed she might not have been able to make it to a safety pod and so she would have died and Nothing changes other than the location of her death. Moving on to some more miscellaneous things, notes, and references. There were a couple words that I didn't know, which is not a common occurrence for me while I was reading. One of them is threnody, T-H-R-E-N-O-D-Y. It's a lament or a mournful wail. Huh. From the context, I guessed and wrote down my notes that it meant chorus of screams, so I feel pretty good with that guess. Also, separating, S-U-P-P-U-R-A-T-I-N-G, means creating of pus, comma, fermenting. Which, when in the context of sound, a separating sound, that's gross. But good to know that that gross sound is called separating. I've mentioned the Intergalactic Banking Clan, the IBC, a couple of times, and it's one of the major groups that joins the Separatists. And of course, Plagueis is one of their ministers, whereas Palpatine is a Senator for the Republic, and the two do become at odds later on, although it is sometime after Plagis's early retirement. Maul mentions three planets on which he trained Orsis, which I don't know, Wayland, which comes up much later, and I believe has some interesting properties or creatures with interesting properties with regards to the force. And then Megiddo, which will be contested during the Clone Wars, and is a colony of the Intergalactic Banking Clan, so under the eye of Darth Plagis, potentially. Now, This book has the first deep seed. From the very first page, Maul fights a creature with armor created from the carapace of a once living creature. It's covered with ritual scars and has organic rings. If you know, you know. If you don't, I'll let you know when we get to it. This is part of one of my favorite fan theories. There are a handful of deep seeds that are planted in upcoming books, and I'll point them out, and they won't seem terribly connected too much. I'll just be like, oh, This is deep seed number two. Now, to be fair, many of the seeds were planted after the tree had grown, been chopped down, turned into books, but some of the seeds generated new trees or came from other trees or were forced by linguistic magic to become seeds, even though they weren't originally seeds. Hence, fan theory. Some of this is confirmed, but some isn't. In any case, we'll get to that theory much, much later. There's also a question I haven't asked before but can you go too far on inspiration and proliferation? I guess I asked it before with Red Harvest, also by Joe Schreiber, with commentary on the speech from Rojo Trace early in the book that felt like a carbon copy of the speech from Taken, which it pretty much was. Now, our hero here is obviously Darth Maul, and while he's his own character here, I think his image from the movies and other media does a fair amount of the work. Without knowing who Darth Maul is going into the book, the story is much, much less enjoyable. Similarly, Komari Vosa and her two curved-hilt lightsabers, trained by Dooku. I recognize that she's a character from the comics, but she also takes a lot of her strength, or her character takes a lot of strength, from knowing Dooku and Asajj Ventress, who is Dooku's next apprentice and is also gifted those curved lightsabers. Then we have the villain, Iram Radik, who's a Chiss. and We don't really get any character out of him, so I feel like I'm supposed to conflate his tactical mastery with Thrawn, And I don't want to just because the author expects me to. It isn't until 27 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is six years after this story, during the events of another book that I'm not going to name just yet, that the Chist renewed contact with the Galactic Republic. They very likely wouldn't have had someone in the Galactic space when Irim had been here and dealing for some time. You need to be a part of his organization for a couple of years and then factor in the isolationism of the Chiss, and they just wouldn't have been there. There's also the Wampa that Maul fights, but he does it unarmed and without the Force to make him seem stronger than Luke, I guess. I don't know. It just felt very weird. The fights didn't really progress the narrative. And then the Guards in Cog Hive 7 have E-11 blasters, which is what stormtroopers would use 30 years later. During the Clone Wars, neither the droids nor the clones would use them. Maybe the E-11 was just so reliable, but if the Empire had its own armor for troops and starfighters... You would think that it would have its own redesigned blasters and not just use the same thing for 40 or 50 years. All of that kind of feels like happened. what happened with Phasma? The creator wanted something cool and so created a visually cool character and then relied on that and connotations and implications rather than anything solid. And so the character falls apart if you poke at it too hard, which is really unfortunate. And similarly, a lot of the technology, it just feels out of place and I'm just like, wait, that doesn't seem right, That that can't be true. And while I am taking notes, if the story is good and cohesive, I don't need to take as many notes, and it's much, much, much easier for me. Iram and his lackeys use khipu, uh, K-H-I-P-U, not language, khipu, not language, which, when I went to learn more about it, seems closely related to Incan quipu, Q-U-I-P-U, which is anglicized and same spelling traditionally. Not language. So K H I P U in both traditional Incan spelling and in Star Wars. And I don't know if it's stealing if you're taking it from real world cultures, but it felt a little odd that he used the same name as the real life culture would use. I think it would have been more appropriate to be like, yes, I'm borrowing this thing and it's inspired by it, but there's not a real planet of Incans running around in the Star Wars galaxy. Anyways, I'm putting together this in an outline and why am I so up in arms over this content sharing when normally I'm all for it for creating a broader world with details going from one story into another, blending it all together. And I think it's because it feels like name dropping. The E11 doesn't make sense. The Wampa doesn't make sense. Everyone and everything that I've mentioned shows up once. Does its thing and disappears, as if to say, "Oh yeah, this isn't a generic book. This isn't just some random book written by Joe Schreiber. It's a Star Wars book. Only Jabba, Maul, Plages, and Sidious survive, and everything else disappears." Well, it should be a significant book tied to fundamental characters. It feels like lip service. It doesn't help that everything new he introduces destroy he destroys, other than the bomb. There should be some possibility for more outside of the one story. In any case, if you like this, recommend Darth Maul, Shadow Hunter, more Darth Maul, obviously. Red Harvest and Death Troopers, more stories by Joe Schreiber. And if you're interested in hearing more about Sidious and Plagius, them old Darth Bane books, particularly the latter two, have a similar sort of energy between them. And then of course, Cloak of Deception and Darth Plagius cover the pre-war period. If you liked this episode and want to hear more of my ramblings, Please be sure to check that box to like, subscribe, favorite, or whatever it is your app calls it, and check back in next. You can contact me on Twitter at Jedi Archive or email me at podcast at I'm Jonah, and the archives are incomplete.